Yeah, we can give them a hand for that. They worked really hard on that. Um, what do you call that song? Never mind. Nobody cares. Okay. Uh, intro. Is that what it is? Intro music. That was my intro music. Hey, uh, we're starting a brand new series today. I'm going to get into that in a minute. I uh, want, want to remind you, haven't said this to you in a while. Why are we here today, gang? To worship the Lord. So if you're not worshiping the Lord, you're missing out on the, on the good stuff. Uh, July 4th is here in a couple days. Have y'all, have y'all been thinking, like, this is the last time several people in our town are going to have all ten fingers? Um, <laughs> yeah, every week. Uh, so we're going to keep them in prayer. Uh, but because of July 4th week and, and all the stuff that's been happening, uh, this coming Wednesday we don't have any church activities here on the campus that night, okay? So if you show up Wednesday night for Bible study or for youth group, um, it's it's the door's going to be locked and you're going to be wondering why you missed it. So um, those of you that, that tune me out when I start talking about stuff, um, you know, whatever. I'm, I'm trying to let you know. But we're going to start back up the next Wednesday on the 12th. And because we're in this series where we're going through the book of Acts, uh, we're going to be getting into the book of Acts on Wednesday nights. It's going to be a lot of fun. Um, but we're, in this, we're starting a brand new series called Relentless. Say Relentless. Over the past three years, I've done something uh, here that I'd never done before, and it's been a lot of fun. We've been preaching during the summer through the book of Acts, and in 2021, we preached through uh, a portion of the book of Acts. Last summer, preached through another portion, and we're finishing up the book of Acts this year. It's only taken me three years to do it. Uh, we're finishing, it's the longest sermon series ever, but we're finishing up with these last several chapters of the book of Acts. Today we're going to start with chapter 21, and here's the reason, and here's what I hope that you're, you're retaining over these past few years. I know that some of y'all haven't been here for three years, but here's the hope out of this series with the book of Acts. My hope for you is that you're seeing descriptions and you're understanding more and more what it looks like for a church when they are operating in the power of the Holy Spirit. Because what is happening in, in, the, in, in this book, what is happening every single chapter is the gospel of Jesus is the main character. It's, it's, it's not even Paul or Peter or Silas or all, all these people, Ananias, Sapphira. It's not, it's not all these. Those are, char- those are supporting characters. The main character is the gospel of Jesus because in Acts 1, the very first chapter, we see what is promised to the church. And then in chapter 2, we see the church explode into being with the power of the Holy Spirit. And then the rest of this book is telling the stories over and over of what a church is doing because of the gospel of Jesus. So the story of the Holy Spirit's power The gospel in the local church, not just in one individual, but corporately. And there's this there's this statement that we've had during this entire series, and it and it goes with us through these last several chapters, and it's this the Holy Spirit is doing something in you that will live beyond you. Can you read that with me? The Holy Spirit is doing something in you that will live beyond you. Now change out the word you for the word us. The Holy Spirit is doing something in us that will live beyond us. That, that, that is critical for this whole thing. So chapters 21 through 28, are, it's the last section that we're hitting. And we're calling it relentless for this, for this reason. 
this particular chunk of stories is telling us all about what is happening with the church living through the scandal of their day and age. Politically, dynamically, when, they're, when, when one of the biggest leaders in church history, the Apostle Paul, is arrested and on trial, we're going to see how the Spirit is moving through those trials, through that scandal. And I don't know if you've paid attention to church history over the past 20, 30 years, but the church in our modern day era has had their own scandals going on. Have you paid attention? If you haven't, well done. I don't, I don't know how you missed it. And we're not gonna, I'm not going to use this platform to denigrate or to point fingers. But I am going to say, power struggles, abuses, lots of money problems, relationship issues. Uh, there is one particular denomination today that is going through a very painful split divorce of their people. And it's, it's so painful. And, and, and there are churches today, I, I, July 4th is coming, I love our country, but I am, I am a follower of Jesus before I pledge allegiance to anything. That, 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 is, that is my faith, that is where I stand. You may have a difference of opinion, that's okay, we can still worship God together. You're going to work that out, and I'm going to work this out with him. I'm not threatened by your opinion, and I don't think you should be threatened by mine. But I look at Scripture and I see an allegiance. I see, I see a God that transcends all governments and all human nations through all time that lasts. And I see kingdoms that fall over and over. When I read the book of Revelation, I see a kingdom that falls. And you, you may be a nationalist, you may be whatever your creed may be, but I'm telling you, we are in a day and in an age where people's opinions informs their truth more than actual data and truth informs truth. And it's nothing new. Actually, and don't tell anybody I said this, here in Albemarle, I've lived that way for a long time. I grew up here in Albemarle, and I remember hearing something on the news or hearing something from a preacher or hearing something from somebody that was a leader in the community. And before I believed it, you know who I talked to? I talked to the people I knew first. What do y'all think about what he said? What do y'all think about what was reported? What do and we still do this today, don't we? We want to know what our inner circle thinks and what we, what we gravitate to. And when we're in the church of Jesus, I want to tell you that the inner circle, the truth, the life... Everything that we can bank on rests with him. And not those that we value their opinion the most. When we look at the church of Jesus moving forward, and we see this church in the book of Acts dealing with scandal and political upheaval, and we, we see all of this, I think we can look at that and say, you know what, the Spirit of God moved through that period and that age and that church in a certain way, and I'm not going to shrink back if the Spirit of God is speaking in this story. And I guarantee you, the Spirit of God is speaking in our story. 
each week as we share these stories from the book of Acts. I want you to ask some key questions. First question is this. What is God's spirit doing in this story? What is God's spirit? So when we are in Acts 21 today, it's, it's a great, great example because God's spirit is doing something in some people and then the apostle Paul is hearing something different. What is God's spirit doing in the story? And here's a clue and here's a hint. Whatever God's spirit is doing, that's the main reason for the story. The second question I want you to ask is, hey, in this story that I see in the book of Acts, how would I fit into it? Can I identify with any of the people in it? Where does our church fit? Where do we fit? Because everybody plays a role in the story of the church of Jesus. It was promised in Acts Chapter 1, that very first chapter, verse 8, it it says this. Jesus said this to the church. You will receive power. Who will receive power? You will receive power. Who who are you? The church, the disciples of Jesus. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, all the ends of the earth. So Acts chapter 21, if you got your Bibles... Acts 21 comes right after Acts chapter 20. That's how numbers work. (laughs) And here's how the story goes. The apostle Paul is going south to Jerusalem for modern-day Turkey. So if you want to pull up Google Maps, you can look up modern-day Turkey, and you can chart, like, his journey as we talk, okay? He is leaving from, like, uh, the modern-day Turkey, and he is going by boat, and he makes his first stop in the city of Tyre. T-Y-R-E. It's an island city. It's an ancient city. It's been a city for about 6,000 years. It's an old city. It's on the southern coast of Lebanon. And if you know your geography, it's about 50 miles south, directly south of Beirut, on the Mediterranean coast. And here's what it says in in verses 3 and 4. Cyprus came into view on our left, but soon was out of sight as we kept on course for Syria and eventually docked in the port of Tyre. While cargo was being unloaded, we looked up the local disciples and we stayed with them seven days. Their message to Paul from insight given by the Spirit. So these brothers, these disciples had a message for Paul. Who gave the message to them? All right, we're we're going to do reading comprehension today, Stanley County. We'll read this again. Their message to Paul from insight given by the Spirit. Okay, so who gave them insight? The Spirit. What spirit? Holy Spirit. They gave insight to these brothers, these disciples. What was that message? Don't go to Jerusalem. Paul's on his way. They stop here. And there's a Holy Spirit message. Don't go. You know what Paul does? He keeps going. There's there's this whole scene where they are all on the beach with their families and they are hugging and kissing him goodbye. And there's this tearful farewell. I think, I think about the times when my family used to live in Baltimore. And we would leave. We would, be, we would be here in North Carolina for Christmas week. And it was time for us to take the grandkids back to Baltimore. Away from their loving grandparents. The people that love them the most in this life according to them. And there were tearful goodbyes. And then Paul leaves, and he then arrives at Caesarea, greeted by Philip, who was a church leader, who had four unmarried daughters, who had the gift of prophecy, and then this guy Agabus shows up. Listen to the story here in verses 10 and 11. After several days of visiting, 
a prophet from Judea by the name of Agabus. Say Agabus. If you're looking for the name of your new pet in your house, let me recommend Agabus. Fantastic name for a new dog. If you're getting a cat, you're in sin. (laughs) He went right up to Paul, took Paul's belt, and in a dramatic gesture, tied himself up, hands and feet. And he said, this is what the Holy Spirit says. Agabus is making an illustrated sermon or an illustration in front of everybody. Ties himself up and says, this is what the Holy Spirit says. So who is speaking through Agabus? The Holy Spirit. The Jews in Jerusalem are going to tie up the man who owns this belt just like this and hand him over to godless unbelievers. Paul arrives in Tyre. He receives a message that says, don't go to Jerusalem. He arrives in Caesarea, which is like the capital for Rome in the, in the land of Judea. That's where Pilate, the governor, stayed. And he meets Philip and his daughters. And if you read into the thing, the, the daughters are prophesying. And they're saying that these four young daughters. And then we get Agabus, the seasoned veteran of the faith. I love how scripture goes from the disciples to these young women to Agabus. And it's showing that the prophecies, the spirit is speaking through intergenerations. To the young and to the seasoned and the veterans. And it's speaking not only to generations, but it's speaking to men and to women. We see that happening. And then Agabus does this grand gesture. He's, you listen to this guy. And he says, the man who owns this belt is going to be handed over. Listen to what happens next. When we heard that, we and everyone there that day begged Paul not to be stubborn. Some of y'all, that's, that's a good prayer for a family member. Don't you dare elbow them beside of you. We prayed for Paul not to be stubborn and persistent going to Jerusalem. But Paul wouldn't budge. Listen to what he says. Why all this hysteria? Why do you insist on making a scene and making it even harder for me? You're looking at this backward. The issue in Jerusalem is not what they do to me, whether arrest or murder, but what the master Jesus does through my obedience. Can't you see that? Paul is right-sizing the tension and right-sizing the disagreement. He's saying, this is not about me. I'm going to obey what I know God has called me to do. And you know what? They were all right. If he didn't want to get arrested, he shouldn't go to Jerusalem. The Spirit was speaking to them. Because Paul's going to get arrested. But Paul is making it very clear. He's like, y'all have got this backwards. You think that I'm concerned about my life. I would rather go and be in obedience than to stay here and live in disobedience. And then in verse 14, when we saw that we weren't making even a dent in his resolve and gave up. It's in God's hands now, we said, like it wasn't in the beginning. (laughs) Master, you handle it. You You ever had somebody say, God told me to do it? You can't argue with that person. You cannot argue with that. As soon as somebody comes into my study and say, Pastor, God told me this. Okay. Wow. I've, I've never heard the audible voice of God say something just like that. I've never heard the audible voice like, Nathan, blah, blah, blah. I've never heard it. 
There's never been a Monty Python clouds opening up and God speaking down. It's never happened to me like that. For me, it's always been through prayers and feelings and just discernments and like gut checks. And maybe somebody would say, you know what, God, I think God may have a message for you. But the people who come to me with like this arrogance and this brash of God said this, so you must do this. I, I, I kind of like, I don't know what to do with that because you know what? I have not heard that from God. Or if I have heard it, I'm like, oh, okay, God. But the people, the people who have just a word that God said, God said, God said, I, I, don't, I, I can't argue with them. Because what if God said it? Not they say something contradictory to his word. Okay, that's, that's different. But what's happening here with Paul and these believers are they're saying the Spirit's told us what's going to happen. You shouldn't go. And Paul's like, y'all got it all wrong. Yeah, that may, I may be arrested. I may be killed. But I've got to go in obedience here. And he just keeps going. And when he gets to Jerusalem, he spends time with James, the brother of Jesus. And he worships and he leads some worship in the temple. And then it happens. The Bible says there in Acts 21 that some Jews from Asia, I don't know if you could be any more generic about describing where people are from than choosing the largest continent on the face of the planet and saying, these people from Asia. You know who are from Asia? Everybody. Like, literally, everybody. Like, there's this, there's this, there's, there's, there's this little geographic spot in Asia that has more people in it than the rest of the world. It's so populated. And these Jews from Asia come and they start causing a public spectacle. They start saying that Paul was claiming one thing and that he's a false prophet. And they just, they just start, it's kind of like what you see bloggers and social media influencers do when they start canceling somebody. Except they're doing it to the apostle Paul in this case. They're accusing him of defiling the Jewish face, of, of, of teaching blasphemy, punishable by death. And they drag him outside of the temple and they start beating him and, and there's this commotion and the Roman authorities hear the ruckus and they go out because in Rome, if you cause a riot, they're going to kill you. You don't cause riots in Rome. And you know who they arrested? Paul. They arrested Paul. And the chapter ends with Paul in custody, addressing the crowd and defending himself. And that's where the chapter ends. And you're, we're left with this cliffhanger. Don't worry, we're going to get to chapter 22 next week. But it's all predictable, the entire chapter. It's all predictable. The Spirit even gave insight. Here's what we see happening in the life of the church. We see intergenerational Male and female prophecy, Jews and Gentiles traveling, warning, tears, public unrest. And at the end of the story, isn't Paul that we're worried about? It's who's the main character? The gospel. Paul is the mouthpiece for it. The reason that Paul is there in the first place, faithfully choosing the hard right over the easy wrong. Paul had a calling, his church had a calling. And even the voices within that church were saying, look, your calling's dangerous. Don't, don't, don't go there. Spirit-led voices. And Paul chose the hard right over the easy wrong. What he knows God has called him to do. 
Reread his words. The issue in Jerusalem is not what they do to me, whether arrest or murder, but what the master Jesus does through my obedience. Can't you see that? And here's the thing. When you know what you're supposed to do, when you know what God has called you to do, when you're living by the power of the Holy Spirit, you have perfect peace because of that power. All this stuff is coming his way. And here is, here is one of the biggest lessons, one of the biggest things I see in the book of Acts, time after time after time. And it's not some flippant principle to live by. It's this thing that we won't live by this if the Spirit is not empowering us. And it's simply this. Choose the hard right over the easy wrong. Will you read that with me? Choose the hard right over the easy wrong. Think about it for a minute. Think about it in our lives here in 2023. It's easy to keep our sins a secret. It's easy to have a habit or an addiction or to have, has to, what is hard, the right thing to do is hard. It takes humility, confessing that sin, getting it out in the open, taking the power away from sin by exposing it to the light, asking for help. It is easy in our world to keep charging and buying whatever we want. The hard right embraces God's gift of self-control. What is easy in our world is to hold a grudge for a long time. What is hard and difficult but right is to forgive as I have been forgiven. It's easy to be like everybody else. It's, the hard right is when you live like nobody else. So you can live for him. It's easy to give up when I'm discouraged and to quit. But the hard right thing to do is to lean in and persevere with the power of the Holy Spirit. It's easy for Paul to listen to spirit-filled people, to give him direction that will make his life easier. The hard thing to do is to hold fast to what God is direction, directing and to look at those spirit-filled people and say, you got it wrong. This isn't about whether I live or die. It's about him. It's about the gospel. And in your life, God's going to stir something up in you. When this thing gets stirred up in you, the timing is not going to feel right sometimes. It's just not going to feel like it's the right time. Or, or, or you're just going to, you're, you're, it's just going to feel like it's too big of an ask or it's too difficult. And you're going to have the option to say no and put it off. About a year after Shauna and I were married, there was this college student. I mean, he, he graduated high school. He wasn't actually in college at the time. And we knew what God was calling us to do. This kid was going to end up in a life of drugs and in a life where he was, he was not going to make it if somebody didn't step in and believe in him. And we felt the Spirit of God say, move that, move that dude into your house, help him get into college, take him there, buy him stuff. Like we were just married. And we're moving this this. this newly graduated high school kid in our house. And it was not easy, but it was right. He's got a master's degree and a family today. I mean, God's doing it. He, he, is, he is coaching at the collegiate level, and he is influencing other kids for Christ. 
There are parents in our, in our congregation. And there, I see them here today. And they chose the hard right of fostering kids and adopting kids and bringing them into their family. And it wasn't easy. But God stirred something up in their heart before they thought that they were ready for it. But it was right. And the trajectory of those kids' lives has been forever changed. We held this day camp at an elementary school last week. I want to be really careful because I don't want to, I want to do nothing but encourage our, our, our county leaders and our principals and our teachers. I am so grateful that they opened up their, their facilities to us. It's amazing that they did. It, was, it would have been a lot more easy to have that thing here on our campus. Man, we heard 32 kids pray the prayer of salvation for the first time last week. And we don't know if they would have been able to make it here. And yeah, some people were disappointed that we weren't doing things like we had always done them. But we chose the hard right over the, what was easy. And I'm not saying it would have been wrong to do something here, but we knew God was calling us to do that. And usually we will not choose the hard right thing if we have a pattern of choosing the easy wrong. The book of Haggai, in the, in the first part of the Bible, the Old Testament, God gives direct, this directive over and over. He says this in Haggai 1 verse 5, give careful thought to your ways. Now on the surface, that's just like, oh, okay, good proverb, good little thing there. No, 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 let that sink in deep. Give careful thought to your ways. The prophecy goes on to describe the ways that many of us feel. You're like, what ways? Well, here's what Haggai described. See if you can identify with any of this in the very next verse. You have planted much but harvested little. How many people feel like you've, you've put a lot of effort in and you haven't, you haven't seen what you'd like to see out of that effort? What about the next thing? It says, you eat but you never have enough. All right, we're not, we're not going to get too personal here. <laughs> But how many of us just can't ever be satisfied? You drink, but never have your fill. You put on clothes, but are not warm. You're in wages only to put them in a purse with holes in it. Do any of you feel like you make money and it just kind of goes right out? Scripture saying, give careful thought to your ways. I mean, that's literally what happens in the very next verse, verse number seven. The Lord says, give careful thought to your ways. And the prophet Jeremiah, the Lord says this to Jeremiah in verse 5. You want to talk about a challenge being laid down to somebody. Listen to what the Lord says to Jeremiah. Jeremiah, if you're worn out in this foot race with men, what makes you think you can race against horses? God is calling Jeremiah to something bigger than just this day-to-day existence. He's calling him to his kingdom work. And he's saying, if you are getting worn out by choosing the easy wrong, if you're getting worn out by just doing life as you've always done it, what makes you think you're going you're gonna to do anything greater? And if you can't keep your wits during times of calm, what's going to happen when troubles break loose like the Jordan in a flood? You know, these prophecies were to Israel. But we can apply them today. Because things happen. When the floodgates are pushed out and when the storms happen in your life, 
If your connection to God is strong, you're going to find yourself running with the horses. You're going to find yourself not only weathering the storm, but coming through the storm in a strong way. Not because you do all the right things, but because His Spirit is guiding you. His, His truth and His power is in you. If the storm's coming and your finances aren't in order, how are you ever going to choose to do the right thing when God calls you to give? How are you ever going to choose generosity over existence if God calls you to that? What, are the, what do you mean the hard, the hard right thing? Like with money, what do you, what do you mean? Nate? Here's what I mean. If, if you're having difficulty with your finances, I would encourage you with some hard right things. Get some help. Stop isolating. Live on a budget. Climb out of debt. It seems so simple. And we can all nod our heads. But actually doing it. If your marriage is constant chaos and constant conflict, how will you ever do the hard right thing when God calls you to work together for his kingdom? Or how will you ever stay faithful in your marriage? And if your marriage is in trouble, I've got some hard right things for you not to just consider, but for you to act on. Humble yourself. Get some help. Repent of sin. Stop talking about it and thinking about it and start doing it. What if you don't feel like you have enough for it? What if you feel like no matter what, Nate, you're talking to me about just doing the hard right thing. What if I don't have enough? I would would say this to you, you don't. You're you're not going to be strong enough. Our self-control, here's what is a fact it's finite, meaning that self-control runs out. So, so here's the thing. If you're really good at saying no to donuts and not eating donuts, but your house constantly has fresh Krispy Kreme donuts in it that are coming off hot now, hot and ready, and they're going through your kitchen, I'm here to tell you, if that's in front of you every day, sooner or later, you're going to have a donut. It's just going to happen. Some of y'all were like, glory. Yeah, especially you. (laughs) Self-control is finite. You don't have what it takes. You are not strong enough in and of yourself to even get through life on your own without getting scarred. But the power of God's Holy Spirit is something that is stronger than you. There's this, there's this movie that came out uh, not too long ago called Dune. I don't know if you've watched it. But there's a scene between a father and a son. And the father is very clearly giving his son some direction for the future. And the son has a response to the father. It's just like, I, I, don't, I don't have it. What, what then? And man, I think this is a really great little picture for us to just consider. When it comes to what it's, what it's like as the church of Jesus leaning into that obedience rather than into how we feel. Watch this. Here on Caladan, we've ruled by air power and sea power. On Arrakis, we need to cultivate desert power. I want you sitting in on my council. Learn what I do. What if I'm not that? Not what? The future of House Atreides.
told my father I didn't want this either. I wanted to be a pilot. You never told me that. Your grandfather said, a great man doesn't seek to lead. He's called to it. And he answers. And if your answer is no, you'll still be the only thing I ever needed you to be. My son. help but think that in the quiet times of prayer, the Apostle Paul knew what God had called him to do. And even Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, sat before God in prayer and said, please let this pass from me. I don't, I don't, I don't, I can't, what if I can't do it? I think that the loving embrace of God just basically looks back at us every single time and says, you're, you're my daughter. You're my son. If, if you don't feel like you can do it, I, you're still everything that I created you to be. And when, when we come face to face with a love like that and with the power of his Holy Spirit that moves through us in the middle of all the controversies and the scandals and the politics and all the stuff when that Holy Spirit is guiding our heart that, that he is going to be with us no matter what you will be surprised of what kind of power flows within you when you just step up and you step into it Here's the thing. God calls his church to advance the gospel. And, and in this world and in this our history, there are people that are called to be Paul. There are also some people who are disciples. Some are young prophetess. There's an Agabus here and there. And the message today isn't so much about Paul as it is to his church. Be obedient with the gospel. Be obedient with what God's called you to be. Be obedient to what God's called you to do. Choose the hard right thing over the easy wrong. To quit talking about it and to start stepping into it more and more because His Holy Spirit is with you. In the next several weeks, we're going to start unpacking the trials that Paul will go through. And he needs the power of the Holy Spirit with him in all of these trials. And Paul will not endure this without that power. And I want you to know, the same Holy Spirit lives within you. The same Holy Spirit lives within you. Before, before we, we stand and pray, I want to give this big challenge to you. And it's not just the veterans of the faith. It's to those of you who may feel like you are so far away from God. I want to give you this challenge. I want to encourage you with these words. In Acts chapter 2, the Holy Spirit fell on the disciples and they began speaking in other tongues. In 1 Corinthians chapter 14, Paul says about prayer and about the gifts of the Spirit that this gift of tongues edifies a person. Does anybody know what edifies mean? It means that it builds up a person. So here's the weird challenge that this Pentecostal preacher has for you today. You may have never prayed in tongues. You may never have 
given it serious consideration. The Bible says that the tongues fell on the church and that those with the gift would speak out. I want to encourage you. 15 minutes a day. Try praying in tongues. Don't make a spectacle out of it. I find, I find tongues to be just a little bit too vulnerable personally to just start speaking because it's, it's a, the Bible says it's a personal individual. It lifts up the, the individual. That's what it says. And yeah, there are these times in the church of Jesus where there are tongues and there are interpretation of tongues. But Paul says, I speak in tongues more than all of you. And I wish, I wish you all spoke in tongues. Why? Because it lifts you up. It edifies you. So my challenge is this. It's, it's not to get you to feel a certain thing. It's to lean into the promise that God is edifying you. He is lifting you up. You know that language that babies have when they just start crying? They tell you, I'm wet, I'm tired, or I'm hungry, just with those crying-like sounds. I see tongues kind of like that in prayer, where we come before God and we open our mouth to pray and we just, we don't know what to say. And you know what? If God's word is true, anybody here believe that God's word is true? If God's word is true, what, what harm will it do to just sit? Set a timer. If you don't know what to say, if you don't know how.